Thanks, Derek. That was awesome, Rob. Reminds me of an old song. Some of you may know the words to it. Uh, many may not remember it. Who am I that a king would die for me? Uh, but that seems to be the truth this morning. It's a blessing anytime I can stand in my pastor's uh, pulpit to deliver God's word to you. Uh, he has an uninvited guest that keeps coming back. So COVID is that pandemic just keeps on giving and giving and giving. Uh, we think we're done with that and it just keeps coming back. But um, I know his heart and I know uh, Pastor Worth, his salt, wants to be with his people when they get together, especially when they got something to eat right after it. Uh, so he told me I could preach as long as I wanted to today. You can leave those on if you want to. I'm, uh, yeah, now I can see again. Uh, but anyway, you know, um, it's kind of like... Uh, Seeing him in the last, I guess, few weeks, we have talked a lot about the um, living in a hostile society, living in a hostile culture. And as a pastor, he wants his children, so to speak, the flock which God has entrusted him with, he wants them to be as equipped as possible. So for you know, several weeks now, he's been trying to equip us to reality uh, and how we as believers, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, how we're to operate in this society. Because I guess you're seeing the days of the Christian, actually our world is getting closer and closer and closer, and it's getting tighter and tighter and that's the reason I believe in Scripture. It says, listen, we're to encourage one another and so much more as you see these end days approaching. You know what it comes down to? It's kind of like family. We forget family in certain ages of our life. You know, we just, hey, I'm going to call mom. I'm going to call dad. going to call my siblings. And you get so busy with life, and then somewhere along the way, at some probably place in your life later on, you begin to see how valuable family can be. I think uh, understanding that and knowing that from, I won't call him my senior pastor. Uh, I will, I, he's seasoned. I like that word. Uh, Brother Kevin used that. Don't forget you get to get in the front of the line. See, I don't, I'm not real big on all the who gets in line first because when I was little, you know, they always let the adults eat first. And then when I got older, they let the children eat first. So I'm not sure I missed out on all that, but we'll be, there'll be enough here today. But I want to talk to you this morning, if you've got a copy of God's Word, we're going to try to move through this as quick as possible this morning, because I wanted you to get the, the heart of what Pastor John, let's look at 1 John chapter number 2. The Apostle John is writing, I know you look over in, in uh, 2 John, he's writing to the elect lady, and we can see the people that he's writing to, and today we want to read a few verses of scripture. I want to focus on not so much of what he is saying, though we're going to read through that. I want you to see who he's talking to, and, and that's going to be reflective of who we are, and I think the heart of a pastor, uh, if I wanted to give uh, uh, kind of an overview of um, of the three Johns there, where the Apostle John, the Pastor John, uh, the, the writer of the book of the Revelation, uh, his heart, you can see it, because he wants to not just write to one group of people, he wants to write to all his children. He wants them to be in the know. You pick it out every Sunday when our pastor comes to bring something. He can prepare a message in 15 minutes. He can probably come up with some points and read some Reader's Digest and a couple of illustrations and go home. But as our pastor and any pastor worth his salt, he wants to prepare his kids for what's out there. He wants to prepare his adolescents for what's out there. He wants to prepare his mature adults in the fellowship of what's out there. He wants you to be in the know. To have knowledge. Everybody thinks they know everything, but I want to tell you, as Franklin Graham, I heard him this morning, they were asking him some questions, if you might have seen that. Um, all he knows is Scripture. Do you notice that? They'll ask him questions, and he said, well, I have to go from Scripture because that's all I know. 
Now, I'm sure he's an intelligent man, but at the same time, that's where we have the authority. That's where we can take it to the bank. So let's read this morning in 1 John chapter 2, and we'll begin reading just a couple of verses. We'll begin reading in verse number 12. And it says, I am writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. Now, I want to give us a little bit of a refresher message this morning. And I pray that we can understand the reading of God's word and we can take something home. But I want us to look this morning at this take-home test that I believe this pastor has giving has given to everybody he's writing to. Everybody in the church in which he wrote, everyone that would read it, everyone that would come to understand it, I want you to get this morning that is specific to us. He's not writing just something randomly, but he wanted all of us to get it. So children, listen up this morning. Adolescents, live a, listen up this morning. Senior saints, middle saints, young saints, whatever, I want you to listen up this morning to what he tries to teach here. John is this shepherd who is truly uh, concerned about the life of his children. So how does he address these here? He's actually kind of looking at it for the different stages of life. Notice he uses little children, young men, and fathers. That's where we're going to key at this morning. Where are you on that spiritual journey, so to speak? It's self-evident when we're born into the world. Remember Nicodemus tied that in for us when he said, listen, how can I go back into my mother's womb? And basically he's saying, I don't understand, Jesus, how you're connecting the spiritual with the physical. But, hey, I'm going to trust you this morning that you have enough intellect that for the time we have allotted this morning, that you can take some of the physical things that we're talking about and you transfer them over into the spiritual. So I want us to take a test this morning and see if you can identify yourself and where you are in this spiritual journey of life. You know, what is first in the physical? You get it? What is first? You remember? Some of you got this. Remember those crying babies? There's not few. I, I know Miss Tanya loves the nurseries, but man, I went through that enough. Hearing those, it's a, it's a calling. But we have first babies, infants. Isn't that the first step? You can shake your head. Yes, your teeth won't fall out. Close your lips. They won't fall. You just shake your head and say, I know in the beginning it started with babies. And the same thing happens when people come to faith in Christ. They are infants in the Word. They're infants as they are growing. They're in that infancy stage. They're in that baby stage, so to speak. But we're to grow from that. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. It also says in 2 Peter, but grow in grace and in knowledge of Jesus Christ. To him be all glory. So we have a responsibility. They have a responsibility. Guess what? Most babies I've seen don't understand that. You can go to the nursery this morning and try to explain to them, listen, you need to grow. It's time for you to grow up. How many, how many times have you ever heard that? Yeah, it's time to grow up. They don't grasp that yet. Why? Because they're in that infancy stage. They're in that young stage. They, they start off at the bottom. Now, I want to, in looking at this infancy stage, probably more time is spent in the spiritual infancy stage than any other place. I mean, we just spend most, so much time there. Well, let's look at a couple of things. If you want to take notes this morning, this is good notes for you to take down to give yourself a test later on. I know it's take home. 
It's a take-home. It's an open-book test. But it'll help you to evaluate yourself and where you are. And sometimes it's revealing. Isn't that why you come? Isn't that why you're here? Why are you here today? I mean, sometimes we think, well, why don't we go to church? It's because we do. We're supposed to. But why do you come? Do you come to be challenged? We, we should come to study to show ourselves approved. We should have a desire to grow in faith and knowledge. We want to grow up. So as we look at this infancy stage, let's talk about these little children. It means literally these little ones. Now, I may get in trouble this morning, and Phyllis can tell you, I love it. Absolutely love it. But here, mothers, listen up. I want to reveal something to you this morning. You're probably going to argue with me, and that's fine. I've been wrong before. Most times I can tell you. My wife's sitting right over there. Amen. Okay. Birthing the child into this world is not the last time you're going to ever feel pain. When that child comes into the world, yes, there is pain, but it's only for a season. So it's easy for you to say, I understand. I've been there, but no, I've not ever felt the pain. But I can just surmise from mothers over the years understanding that when that child is brought into this world, that pain might be for a day, but I want to tell you, the pain will not leave you. It may not bring the physical pain it did in birth, but the rest of their growing time is sometimes going to be painful. How many ever had a heartache over a child? A broken heart over a child? Waiting for them to get home after that first date. Waiting them to get home the next morning after they've driven you crazy and then they say they want to go stay with a friend. Fine, it's, it'll be quiet around here. But by the next morning, man, you're missing them. Those children, guess what? Let's transfer that a little bit into the spiritual. Don't we want our children to grow in Christ? I tell you what, one of the greatest things that I get to see, I'm getting to that point. I hadn't got there yet, but maybe in another 15 or 20 years, I can be a seasoned saint. But one of my favorite times, and I've said this over and over, is to see our children come here when they come up front. Now, I was not called to minister to children. I would have probably been better as a um, platoon officer or something like that, you know, screaming and shouting and those types of things. But I love those that are called to work with those infants because they are impacting their lives. They'll not only grow up physically, but their desire is to grow spiritually. So it's more than just about birthing those babes. We as a church, we as a fellowship need to provide those things that are needed. What is needed for a child? What does a child need? Milk. They need something to eat. See? I mean, even the babies are crying out, let me know the answers. Y'all get in here. They'll let you know when they're hungry. They need food. Now let's transfer that to the spiritual. We need opportunities in a church, in a growing church, like John saying, when he's saying to the little children, he's explaining to them. He's speaking directly to the little children. He wants them to grasp that. So what are we to do? We're to provide a place where they can be fed. Now, yes, they're fed at home, but hey, we as a congregation have a responsibility to feed those little children. We have to do that. We have to provide discipleship. What's something else? Basics, shelter. We have to provide a place where that they can feel comfortable. You don't bring a baby home and put it in the barn, do you? You may think about it. Man, I came home with children. We end up with three come home, and I'm still looking for those books, that, the DIY books of what to do when you bring them home. Yeah. There's no manual. Looking everywhere, there, 
where it's, where it's at, and uh, you don't get any of that. But what do we usually do? We make preparations usually before they get home. We've made the room, we've got the crib, we've got all this thing, we've got the rocking chairs, we've got everything has been changed. Even as they grow, we stick things in the plugs to keep them from sticking their fingers in it. We try to make a safe environment for them. A place that they can just kind of relax and feel comfortable. I want to tell you, I see our kids here just relaxed, enjoying themselves. They feel comfortable. They don't feel threatened. They're excited to see you because you've made a welcoming environment. You've given them this comfortable place in which they can come. Not only that, but you've given them a sterile environment. Hey, as a parent, honestly, especially with the first one, here's how you can tell if someone has the first child or the second or the third or the fourth child. Here's the easy way to pick it up. When the baby drops the pacifier, they pick it up and throw it away. First child. Second child. They drop the pacifier again because it's going to happen again. And they pick it up and they may wipe it off or rinse it off or whatever it is and, and they'll give it back to them. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth child. They see that pacifier, they pick that pacifier up, and they go. We want a sterile environment for our child. We want to provide all the things that would take them from the infancy stage on. But there's things we got to understand about these infants. One thing that you can understand about an infant is, and you, we're going to have to understand that. Now, when I say infant, we're not talking about people in the nursery. Because I was 18 years of age and I was a baby in Christ because I had just come to faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? So it has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with wrinkles. It has nothing to do with the color of your hair. It has nothing to do with those things. I've known babes in Christ that were senior adults, seasoned adults. So it has nothing to do with those things. I'm talking about those babes in Christ that just don't know yet. They don't know because they've not been taught. They just don't know. So when I'm talking about just a children's program, I'm not talking just about that. I'm talking about a young adult, a teen program, an adult program, whatever. You've got to provide those things because in all those categories, you're going to have babes in Christ. But what do babes do? What do you think they do? Wow. What's the first thing you think of? <laughs> they cry a lot. Phyllis, when we first had our first one, she, uh, we chose to stay home or her to stay home. I couldn't have taken it. And so to help out, um, sister-in-law, she kept another one that was a week older than our oldest one. And she cried a lot. I'd come home from work, and I'd stay on the porch till she left. I just couldn't, you know, it's, babies cry a lot. Have you ever noticed that? For everything. It, it doesn't have to be a major ordeal. They cry to cry. And, you know, another thing that goes along with crying, even as they start to age a little bit in that infancy stage, they whine. I hate whining, unless I'm doing it. But these babies are going to whine. They're going to cry at most any and everything. Understand that. Grasp that this morning. I don't care the age of the person, but understand that person is going to have those infancy tendencies. Now, sometimes we all can act like infants. <laughs> and sometimes the infant will act more mature sometimes than the more mature ones should act. What's something else they do? What's things that go along with babies? They don't, or, excuse me, they get upset easily. You ever notice that? It don't take much to make a baby upset. Hey, they were playing with a truck and you took the truck. They didn't want to go, and you wanted to go, or they wanted to stay, and you didn't want to stay, and 
just it just anything. Understand this. Don't just look at the age we're talking about this morning. We, even as mature parents, as older seasoned adults, we need to understand where these people are living and expect it. So but they're a 40-year-old man and they're acting like they're a toddler. Well, guess what? They might be. That doesn't mean you condone it. You try to instruct. What do you do when the babies cry and you know, you take a toy and you want to share it somewhere and they don't want to share. What do we do? You try to set them down and explaining sharing. You just try to do that. Now, they may not grasp it in the beginning, but eventually they may get it, what sharing really is. My middle child one time, we had to work with her on sharing. She was, I don't know, seven or eight years old, and she had all this candy left over from a trunk or treat or something we had, and she had all this candy. And we were saying, Phyllis was teaching piano, and these other kids come in, so hey, that's a great opportunity. Let's teach her to share. I mean, and the basic thing. So we talked about her, talked to her about sharing when they come in. Okay, the next day, all these students coming in and for piano lessons, and guess what? Kayla was just bringing out the candy, just giving them candy. Thought, man, she has really got it. I mean, even then, she has learned about sharing. And when we got through, I wanted to commend her on her sharing. I said, Kayla, listen, you've been awesome in sharing. That's what we're trying to teach. We all need to learn to share, right? And as parents, we have a responsibility to teach them to share because the tendency is we're born into sin. We don't want to share. We want what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. So I was commending her on sharing until my son came running out and said, somebody's taking all my candy. <laughs> Guess what? They may not learn that lesson the first time. We have to be patient in the infancy stage regardless of the age. We can't just, hey, they need to go on somewhere else. They need to do this, or they need to do that, or they need to grow up. Well, guess what? That might be what they're trying to do, but it's up to us to help them. You know what they always want to? They want their way. They want their way. Infants want their way all the time, anytime, every time. They want their way. They also, when they, when they want in their way, they don't want to forgive. You know, I want to tell you, that's a difficult thing, isn't it, to forgive? Sometimes it takes us a, a lifetime to learn to truly give. And sometimes we can tell if they're still in the infancy stage because they'll hold that. Somebody's made an impression, probably a negative impression on them, and they are holding on to that. They won't go around them anymore. They don't want to have anything to do with them anymore because they did this or looked like this or acted like this and, hey, they're, just not, they're not forgiving them for what they did. We have infants in the church still today that's got some bitterness towards somebody that affected them 25 years ago. Folks, that's infancy stuff. That's not what God taught us. But you know what we can be thankful for is that we don't stay there in infancy stage. Hopefully we're growing. I can go back and chart parts of my life. Know when, when we were growing up, you may especially the first child, so we did everything. You ever notice that? Look at your pictures. Hey, kids, look at your pictures, and you can tell where you are on the pecking order. First child, 14 albums of pictures. Second child, four albums. Third child, can we find a picture of the third child? Do we have any? But you remember when you go up against the wall and they would mark off your height and you could see the progression in your growth? The same thing could be said about your spiritual growth. You can look back in your life and saw those things that caused you and helped you to grow. Now, let's look at the adolescents. We call them teenagers. Oh, boy. You know the reason... Teenagers are so tough and so hard and aggravating. 
I mean, teenagers, just, just hang on with me. Don't get mad at me yet. You know the worst thing about teenagers? They turn out like their parents. I praise God that mine didn't. But look at the adolescent stage when he says young men. These are the ones that would come to understand what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understand. I, in other words, I reasoned things out as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Paul also said, brethren, do not be children in understanding. In other words, you got to grow up sometimes. Here John's talking to those that are maturing in Christ. Their appetite for food. My dad told me one time, he said, son, if you ever think about moving back home, I worked for him. He owned a business, I worked for him. He said, if you ever think about moving back home because you don't have enough money for food, please tell me, I'll give you a raise because I can't afford to feed you. <laughs> True story. You notice that when you're Kids are not kids anymore, and you see them, their appetite picks up. They're hungry, right? Shake your head this way. Anybody got teenage boys and girls that go hungry? I mean, they may not tell you, but they're hungry. Their appetite picks up. They want more food. I want to tell you, if we as a church don't feed them, they'll find food somewhere else. Did you hear me? Because they're hungry. They want to know more. Then they think they know it all. Hey, I still thought I knew it all. And the older I get, the less I know that I know. Figure that one out this afternoon. But they get hungry for something. Their appetite increases. And so we as a, as a body, like again, it doesn't matter. We're not talking about those from 13 to 19. We're talking about anybody that's growing in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ it can be, hey, we can have adolescents and they're still 65. Not to say that I don't act like an adolescent sometimes, and sometimes our adolescents act like adults. But the habitual thing in our lives is it'll point out to where we are in this spiritual growth and as he addressed them. So their appetite is growing, greater capacity for food, so their stomach is growing. The Bible says that if you live in the Bible... It'll live in you. John 15, 5 makes that clear. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bear much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now, he, he also talks when he's giving them this that you fought the evil one. When you get into adolescent stage, we don't expect the babies to fight the devil. We don't, we don't expect them to take on the devil. We really don't. That's the reason we're doing so much to protect them. You see a mama around their cub, there's nothing more dangerous. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. Because they know they have a responsibility. Dads, we're the same way. We're going to hover around. We're going to do all we can to protect our child when they're infants, toddlers, and they're just growing up. Now, the biggest thing that I discovered, even from my own life, when we get to the adolescent stage, the biggest thing that we need to protect them from is themselves. Think about it a minute. When I was a teenager, I was my own worst enemy. I brought more trouble on me than anybody else could ever inflict on me. And that's the way we are sometimes in the spiritual realm. And the reason is because we find ourselves in that particular time in life that we become self-reliant. I don't need God. Now, we won't say that. We'll pray the prayers. We'll say the things. We'll show up. We'll sing all the But inside here, we know that it's about brawn power, not about brain power. I can stand up to Satan. I can stand up to the devil. I'm tough. I can do those things. I don't need God. Boy, I tell you what. The more you grow in Christ, you find out you can't do nothing without him. You become more reliant on God, not less reliant as you truly mature. 
But in the adolescent stage, they become self-reliant. They think they can do it themselves. I thought I could do it myself. I thought I had superior knowledge. Most of the time when we're in that age, and teenagers, you can learn from yourselves, but understand your parents were the same way. We thought we had actually more knowledge than what we actually had. We thought we knew a lot of things. We could recite so many scriptures for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. We could recite it. We just didn't quite grasp it yet. We think we have superior knowledge. We have knowledge that the world don't. We'll take on them. We'll debate them. We can handle those things. But we've just not really truly grasped what it is and what he's saying. Because we think we had the superior knowledge and, and we don't need God at those times. You know, it becomes, um, it'd be awesome if we had a channel to DIY the adolescent years. Because in those years, we think we can do things ourselves. I want to say this. I'll just jump out on a limb here. I've been out there. Someone said, well, why do you go out on a limb? Here's the reason you go out on a limb sometimes, because that's where the fruit is. You hear me? Why do I go out on a limb? Because I believe that's, that's where the fruit is, and I believe this is the fruit this morning. I believe most of the churches in which we find ourselves in, across the board, are mostly in the adolescent stage. We're not toddlers. We're not little children. We don't cry out loud. We don't whine quite as much. But we think we have all the knowledge of how to do everything else. We put ourselves, we use the words like always and I would never and those types of things because you hadn't been there yet. I want to tell you, as an adolescent, I still have scars. Most of them I inflicted myself. Now, I'm not talking about the physical. I'm talking about the spiritual. Because in that in that time when I think I can, you know, we can take on, what was that saying? Oh, someone had said one time I could swing across hell on a rotten grapevine. I'd take on hell with a water hose. I could do it. I can do it. I don't need your help. I don't need anybody's help. Man, it's great to have Jesus. I'll call on him if I need him. Jesus, you hang out back there because I'm leading the way. Here's another thing about adolescence. I'll tell you if you're there this morning. I'm trying to hurry. We got lunch. Oh, we're good for supper. Okay. We can call it supper. Here's another one. They're singularly focused. They're focused, just, just minimal focus. You know, they're looking at me, my, my. If they do things great for somebody else, it's wonderful. It's unusual, but they'll do things for somebody else, but they're always in the back of their mind. I'll do that, then what are you going to do for me? Singularly focused. I'm going to give you the outline. You can finish preaching it. Another thing with adolescents, we are motivated by emotion. Man, I would sing that song, Feelings. Y'all know that song? Feelings. I'm not. We go by feelings mostly in our adolescent stage. And you know what that does? That puts your life on a roller coaster. There'll be high places of exhilaration. There'll be low places that you're down in the dumps. And there'll be a lot of places on that roller coaster just make you want to throw up. I'm serious. We are run by emotions. I know I, I had this debate with my mother one time. Understand this, teenagers. You will not win a debate. They didn't get as old as they are by letting other ones win the debate. They have some experience. My daughter tells my grandson, you can't con a con. I've been there. I've done that. I know the tricks. Whether you use them or not, you've already been there. But I told my mom, I said, but mom, I know you're saying do this, but I just don't feel like it. Hey, I had the last word. Put my foot down. I don't feel like it. Guess what happened? She changed my feelings. Sometimes 
We have to do that as a church. You don't want to be hard. You don't want to be harsh. But sometimes we have to change their feelings because we are ultimately responsible for them. John knew he was responsible as a pastor. He knew this leadership, these fathers he's going to talk about, he knew they were responsible. They would give an account before God. I don't want to get to God and say, but God, they said that they didn't feel like it. God said, I don't care. That's not what I asked. That's not what I told you. Don't go by their feelings because in that stage, hey, they're emotional. They had one other thing if you want to put this down. They displaced priorities. Man, don't we do that in that? We forget what's important so often in that stage. We, we displace those priorities. Think, I want to ask you this. Just in general, in life, We'll go to the physical right quick. In life, are your priorities the same today as they were when you were 17? I'm guessing they're probably not. And if they are, it's probably a problem. So we, we change up our priorities because we become more mature. And those things, it became, hey, it was about what I wore to school. Now it's what I can afford. I'll spend money over here rather than over here. I think we just get uh, smarter. We grow. Spiritually, it's the same way. Now I want us to look at this, and then we can call it a day. The mature stage. Notice he, he refers to them in Scripture as fathers. He's referring to them, not just talking about fathers here. He's talking about the mature ones. Listen up. 1 Corinthians 4. 15 says, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. So when I said that, what I did a while ago, that's what I based it on. There's not as many mature ones as we would like to have. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you. I like the word implore. I urge you, the most urgent urge I can give you, imitate me. Boy, he took on a lot when he said that. How many of us could stand this morning and say, follow me, live like me, act like me, do like me? It choked most of us up, wouldn't it? Now, Paul's not saying, hey, I'm perfect, follow me, because we know Paul struggled with that. We can go back and read that scripture, but he says, but my desire, my maturity level, I'm trying to follow Jesus. Follow me as I follow Jesus, I think he said in one other place. He says in verse 16 and 17, I want to hit this because of young people. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you. Timothy's not a seasoned saint. He's a young adult man, if that at this point. He's young, so it has nothing to do with age. But he said, hey, Timothy is understanding. Timothy is a maturing saint. Hmm. What about maturity? They have knowledge. I said one of the greatest things if I get to tell young people and the senior seasoned senior maturing adults also. One of the greatest things you can do, greatest resources. Uh, let me say it this way because that's the way I usually preach it. One of the greatest resources any church has is those that have been down that road, that have walked the walk, talked the talk. They may have side-roaded it and they've got the scars to prove it and they want to share it so they won't go off the side road. One of the greatest resources we have is our seasoned, mature saints. Young people, you can take that or you can leave it alone. But I want to tell you, that's the truth. I love to sit around the senior saints when I was growing up. I love to sit around and listen to them because I felt like I was getting as much education there as I was anywhere else. Now be careful of who you're listening to and understand you don't put your faith and trust in them. They're human, but there's so much a wealth of knowledge. 
And you'll see that they rely, truly mature saints will rely on Jesus. I have to say this right quick. My father-in-law, he preached for 60 plus years, pastored for over 50 of those. I wear a tie today. You know, Kevin, I, I don't really wear a tie. And I've got several ladies that if Phyllis puts me in a tie in a casket somewhere, they will have scissors to cut it off. But this is not my tie. I have a whole closet full. But I wear this tie today. Uh, my father-in-law, he loved Thanksgiving. Because of the family getting together. But he said this one time, I love the Thanksgiving prayer. My whole family praying together, thanking God. We're, hey, it seems like at Christmas time, we're celebrating, but we're looking for what we can get. But at Thanksgiving, he said, it's about what we can give God. And so this was his tie. When he passed away, I got this tie. So I'm wearing it today. Thanksgiving's coming up this week. It's a time, and I know in all his years, one thing that I recognized from him, so many things he taught me, was his reliance on God himself. I've seen him pouring out just tears, flowing in the middle of the night over folks that were dealing with things in the congregation because he loved them as a pastor. He didn't say, hey, I can go help fix them, or I can get this and that'll help. If I get money, that'll help. If I get food, that'll help. If I take care of them, that'll help. No, he didn't go do all those things or sit down and try to map out a plan to fix them. He got on his knees before God and said, I'm relying on you, God, to take care of those in whom I love. That's maturity. That's knowledge. And he had it. As I said before, your priorities change. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, it says, But what things are gained to me? These things I have counted lost for Christ. Though know, somebody gained the whole world lose his own salvation. What's it worth? Hey, I want to take you to a, a, another level. Can I do this? You think mature is mature. No. You can be a mature Christian, but guess what? You're still getting there. You've not gotten there yet. I had one professor that I knew when I was in seminary that prayed this prayer. Now, I'll be honest with you. Just honest, open. I've never prayed this before. Because I, I read what it says. Maybe I hadn't gotten to that point in my life yet or in my maturity. But here's what Paul said. That I may know him. Well, we all want to know Jesus. But truly, what he's saying here, I want to have a greater, a deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what a mature believer is about. Finish reading this. And the power of his resurrection. Not just knowing it up here. Knowing it in here. Knowing it in my everyday life. Jesus is coming back. Did you hear that? That's what I'm talking about. Forget that. Jesus is coming back. He didn't forfeit me. He didn't leave me alone. He's coming back. Let's read the rest of it. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. This is where he left me. And the fellowship of his sufferings. He wanted to know the suffering of Jesus. It was not about self-flagellation. He, he, that was not what he was talking about. He said, I want to know Jesus so much. I want to have the love that Jesus had. I want to have the care that Jesus had. I want to reach out to the people like Jesus did. I want to be just like him. And in order for me to be there, I must go through some of the sufferings that he went through. And Paul did. And I want to know the fellowship, his, his sufferings, and be conformed to his death. Wow. What can you say after that? Be conformed to his death. 
I want to be like Jesus. As a mature believer, I can and say I'm still growing. One, He's not done with me yet. I've never prayed that prayer. I've never asked for more sufferings. We probably pray for less. But if it'll make me more like Jesus, when I get to that point as a mature believer, then I'll pray that prayer. It may be today for some of us. But I want us to just think, because it was not about judging other people. It has nothing to do with that. This was a take-home test. He wanted them to know. But he wanted them to look inward, not outward. He wanted them to look inward. And where are we at? Where am I at? Hey, if you've just come to faith in Christ in the last couple of years and you've probably seen some growth take place, Amen. You're not supposed to be in the adolescent stage yet. Same thing if you're in the adolescent stage and, and you've been growing, you've seen your faith growing in Christ and you see that maturing is taking place in your life. Hey, that may be where you're at right now and you're doing what you can to get there to be a mature believer, but you hadn't gotten there yet. But I want to tell you something that would look strange. What do you think about, let's say, Somebody come wheeling in here. They were 10 years old and their mama or somebody else's dad was pushing them in a stroller. What would be the first thought? Something is wrong with them. But then you discovered there's nothing wrong with them. They're just 10 years old riding in a stroller. You'd say, hey, what's the deal with that? A 10-year-old riding in a stroller? That's absurd. So as a believer that's been in the faith for 20 years and that's still in the infancy stage. I know this was a fad back some time ago and I hope it never comes back. It's just personal. I saw a 16-year-old with a pacifier in his mouth. I know sometimes they made him out of candy and they were doing that, but this kid, had he was about 16 years old and had a pacifier in his mouth. I was thinking, isn't that strange? Or is it just me? But we've still got, we've got some that should be mature or at least in the stage that still drawing on that pacifier. Paul said you ought to be on the meat of the word, not still on the milk. Get off the milk and get on the meat. So where are you at this morning? You watching online this morning. You have an opportunity. You just turn around at your chair, your couch chair, wherever, wherever you might be, and get on your knees before God. Number one, you need to make sure that you know when you know when you know that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's where it all begins. Nicodemus said, hey, you must be born of the Spirit. If you're not sure how to do that, come down here this morning, and we'll do our very best to show you what God said about doing that. Let's get you on the right track. And literally, you should be a baby in Christ. You may have some knowledge. You may grow fast. Have you ever seen some kids that just grow fast? We used to use the phrase, growing like a weed. Man, they're growing. I've seen, I've seen babes in Christ in the spiritual sense that grow just like that. I don't usually point out people too much unless I just want to. Brother Kevin, how old are you? 26 years of age. I had the privilege, and I say that, and I don't often say that, of being on the pulpit committee. This young man blessed me. At the spiritual maturity at 26 years old, I can say this, I was not there. Now, that doesn't mean you can just kick it out of gear, but at the same time, he has sought after Jesus. Has he been perfect? His wife will tell you no. He'll tell you no. But he has his eyes on the prize. And it ain't in this world. So what about you this morning? I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, bow your head, and close your eyes this morning. If you would just stand to your feet, bow your head, and I want you to just focus on yourself this morning. Where am I this morning, you ask Jesus? God, am I still that whiner? Am I still acting like an infant? 
Hey, there's many times when we all do. But is that the pattern of your life? If you're not supposed to be there, then don't be. Make your commitment to God right now and say, God, I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to grow. If that's the truth in your life, and hey, I'll tell you what, there's nothing like taking a step toward Jesus. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is up here at this pulpit, but I am saying it will help you to take a step out from these aisles and come to the pulpit. Come to this area up here and say, God, I want to grow. I'm hungry for your word. I may be an adolescent. Hey, I may be spiritually mature, but I've not attained it all yet. I'm attaining, I have attained, but I still want to attain more. I want to focus more on you. I want to rely more on you. I want more knowledge of you. Folks, I'd ask you to make that commitment, not to me this morning, not because we just preached it, but because that's what God is calling you to do. That's what was this pastor's heart. And John, as he was bringing it, he wanted them to see that I understand that you can't take all the in that I'm bringing you. And neither does our pastor. He realizes that. But he does the best job he can to bring it and whatever is needed to the young ones and to the middle ones and to the older ones and to the even older ones. He wants us all to grow. It's said about the church. Ten miles wide and one inch deep. Think about it. Am I part of that one inch? Or am I part of that ten mile wide? West praise team as they begin to sing this morning and you do what God wants you to do don't do what you, I, hey I just offered an invitation I've just invited you to do what God's spoken on your heart to do do that this morning if you're at home hey do what God has called you to do this morning